All right, good morning, everybody. I am Aaron Poor. I'm the associate pastor here today. And our lead pastor, Pastor Sean, asked me to speak this weekend. We're in the series called Transformed. We're going all the way through the book of Acts. And it's been amazing so far. And um, what I want to do before we go any further, and I know we just prayed as we ended worship, but I want to pray as we go into the word today. So let's pray. Father, right now I pray that you would prepare us uh, for your word. Lord, prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, Lord God. I pray for everybody that is a hearer today, God, that they would have ears to hear. Give them the supernatural ability to receive the purity of your word without any of the confusion and the entanglement of doctrines of men. God, so I pray that they would hear your heart directly from your word, Lord God, today. And Lord, I pray for the speaker, for me, Lord God, that I would be able to speak your word uh, in a way that is not also uh, just made confusing by doctrines of men, Lord God. So help me, Lord, to speak today without mixing in anything that is not from your word. I don't think I'm going to do that, but Lord, I pray that just supernaturally by your Holy Spirit that you would just help that to be the case. Because today, God, we want your word to go forth and not return void, Lord God. We want our hearts to be fertile soil that your word can go down and bear fruit today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's important. And so let's just dive right in. We're going to look, let's just take the first few verses in Acts 12. And let's see what they say, and then we're going to look at it here. So Acts 12, 1, it says, About that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. So, What we're going to do today is we're going to use uh, the text, Acts chapter 12, as an opportunity to take a look at a doctrine that in some circles, some streams of faith is is popular, but is not scriptural. And I... I, (laughs) I can at sometimes, especially if it's just in a small group or just in a conversational setting, I can get super, you know, hyped up about things and just kind of go in like a sledgehammer with things like this. But I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that because this mindset, this doctrine is something that sometimes people can hold on to as at least a sliver of comfort even though it's not scriptural. And so I'm just telling you right at the beginning, I want to approach this uh, with care and with consideration, but I also want us to see truth. And so let's just, I'm just, I guess I'm just asking that of you here at the beginning just to, to hear this uh, with open ears and an open heart and listen to the Holy Spirit And I think most of us in this room are pretty much on the same page here anyway. Um, But maybe some of us, you know, you've kind of picked up things here and there on your journey with the Lord. And some of it's right on and some of it's kind of not right on. And I'm, I'm one of those people too. 
So that's why we prayed. That's why I'm kind of giving you this little disclaimer at the beginning. But so what we just read in Acts chapter 12, and what we will read as we get in a little bit further into the chapter, is that two things happen. Or this chapter that we're looking at basically gives us an account of two things that happened in the early church. Number one, James is arrested and killed. Herod sees the effect that that had. He sees that the Jews, the leaders of the Jews, liked that. And it kind of gained him favor with them. And so he's like, ah, that's a good plan. Let's keep doing that. And so he goes and he arrests Peter. And clearly the intention is to kill Peter. But what happens with Peter is something totally different. So Peter is miraculously set free by an angel. And we'll see this story here in just a little bit. But what happens is, if you go out and you search, uh, study on Acts chapter 12, sermon on Acts chapter 12, uh, invariably what you will find is there are a substantial amount of sermons, articles, books, uh, studies, taking Acts chapter 12 as a confirmation that God's, now stay with me here, God's sovereign will happens um, regardless of any other input or effect or action that anybody else is involved. So in other words, they take Acts chapter 12 and they say, well, James got killed, Peter got set free, God's will, we don't get it, that's why we trust God. So that's kind of the sum, the nutshell of how that is taught at times. So that's what we've got to look at. And I think we've got to look at it with an open mind, an open heart, and a true honoring of Scripture. So let's kind of just jump into the unvarnished question here. And I kind of almost imagine it like a conversation, you know? If, if you imagine two people talking and they say, well, did God kill James and spare Peter? And then the other person might say, well, no, God didn't kill James. I mean, God told James to go serve him and do these things. And then the other person might say, okay, well then, but did God allow James to be killed? And then awkward silence. Because that's where that conversation normally goes. We don't ever want to actually say that God does these things. But we don't quite know how to handle the idea that God, God is like, well, I'm not going to do that, but I'm okay with that. And so we, we start getting into what we call the permissive will of God. And then that creates an incredible tension in our mind, right? Uh, what is it like super smart people call it something like cognitive dissonance or something like that, right? <laughs> College people. But it creates a tension in our mind because our understanding of good and evil comes from God. It, we get that from his word. That's how we understand. He's the moral. The reason there's a moral law is that there's a moral law giver. And that's God. And so we understand what's good and evil. James being arrested and beheaded, that's evil. Peter being set free is good. But then we have to wrestle with this idea of, but I thought 
My bumper sticker on my car says God's in control. And my magnet on my refrigerator says God's in control. And so we kind of find ourselves in this place. Now, I know that, like I said, I know that most of us in here are pretty much on the same page. But I've, I've talked to enough people and I've prayed with enough people uh, over coffee and in hospital rooms and up here after a service that I know that when we get into hard times, challenging situations, loss, pain, and sorrow, that question rises up, why did this happen? Why did God either do this or allow this? And we find ourselves back at this place of tension. And the reason why we have to deal with the tension is the song we just sang, You're a Good, Good Father, you need, to, you need to resolve this tension to sing that song with pure honesty. And so that's why we got to look at this. So, uh, you know, we, we, we find ourselves in situations where we would really, really appreciate the answer to why. Why? Why did this happen? Why did this bad thing happen? Why do good things happen to, to, why do bad things happen to good people, right? And so sometimes the explanation for why that we are given by other people is God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Now, to, to dig into this, we have to address what that word means and how it's being applied. So when we say, when we throw out God is sovereign, People interpret that as a truth that we all agree with, that God is above all. And nobody argues that, right? He's king of kings, Lord of lords, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. He is God over all things. No one is equal to him. No one is above him. But then we throw out this word, God is sovereign, and we take his status and his identity, and then we pull it into an application of how it works in this life that may not be shown in Scripture. So the, 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 the idea of sovereign, or the, actually the word sovereign, never, ever appears in the King James Bible. It's not in there. Now, it is, it is in the New International Version 303 times. But every time that it's in there, it's used in a slightly different way than the way we use it. It's used in conjunction with Lord. So if you were to say, Lord God, the Lord God would say, the, the Lord God among you is mighty. It's used in that way. The sovereign Lord among you is mighty. So in other words, not a single one of those times is the word sovereign used in the manner that has come to be used in religion in our day. So let me say this again. Is God sovereign in that? Is he above all? Is he Lord of lords? Is he over all things? Yes, of course he is. Of course he is. Is anyone higher than God? No. Does anyone have the ability to challenge God and bend his will. I mean, and I'm not talking about that one time that Abraham, you know, I'm, I mean, as, as God of gods, as king of kings, as Lord of lords. No, he's above all else. So that is not being questioned at all. 
But is God personally overseeing the outcome of every single situation in the world today? And that's where the point of contention arises. And that's what we have to wrestle with and go to Scripture and see if we can find the answer. Because if we can resolve that, then we can come to Him in worship without wrestling with how we, what we believe about His character. And I know that seems, wow, that's really, I don't have a problem with God's character. I don't know, maybe you do. It depends on what you believe about him, right? I heard somebody say one time, it's a famous quote, you know, the most important thing about you is what you believe about God. So we get to see when we talk about God being sovereign and God being in control, God's in control and everything that happens is because God wills it, we actually will get to see what that looks like. When Jesus returns with the fullness of his kingdom, and the Bible talks about every tear is wiped away, right? And the government is upon his shoulders. Do, are we in that place in the here and now? Has every tear been wiped away yet? No. There's probably been some tears shed this morning by people in this room already. Is the government on his shoulders yet? I hope not. I hope that's not what we've been waiting for. But we will be able to see that. 1 Corinthians 13 says that now we see through a glass darkly. Now we know in part, right? But we will know as we are known. We will see face to face. So we have that to look forward to. But misunderstanding the sovereignty of God will begin to create massive questions in your heart about the nature and even the character of God. So we can't afford to get this wrong. God is above all. Is he choosing? The word, and the word choosing is very, very important to be able to reconcile this question. Is he choosing to be actively in control? Because he could. He certainly could. But is that what he's choosing? If he is choosing to be in control of everything that's done and everything that's said, then he must be wanting me to say this right now because I'm saying it. Right? I mean, I don't know how you work that out, but it's happening. Psalms 115.16 says this, and this is kind of a key verse to this. It says, The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. So what does that mean? Again, we see, this, we see this situation here where God has made a choice in his sovereignty, in his uh, elite God status, he has made a choice to give dominion to the children of men. That's what it says, Psalms 115. Let me illustrate how this works. This is helpful to kind of think about it in these terms. I have a house. I have land. I have a, a yard. Um, I am the homeowner there. And so I'm in charge. I'm the, I, the buck stops here. So if I were to leave the house and go run some errands and tell my kids, listen, while I'm gone, I want you to clean the house. What has happened right there? The person that's in charge 
has made his will known, right? And he has given the option to the people that are still in the house to obey that will or to not obey that will. Now, I could choose to enforce my will, and I could make them clean the house. But what I'm doing as the style of dad that I am or whatever, I'm giving them the option. This is what I want you guys to do. Now, if I come back and they haven't chosen to do my will, there may be consequences to that. But they had the choice. Now, they only have the choice because I extended to them the choice. So is there a form of sovereignty with me? Yeah, there is. I am in a position to be able to extend to them choice. And then they can make the choice. I also, so you may say, well, yeah, that works great with like people and people doing bad things, but what about when a hurricane comes and that doesn't even have anything to, that's nature. Well, we can go there with nature too. I have three large dogs. And right now, as I speak, two of those dogs are locked up in a room and one, the biggest dog, is free in the house. And so I have given uh, that dog free run of the house. And when we get home this afternoon, we'll see what happens. <laughs> and so, it, you know, I mean, there's that dog as, as a uh, semi-intelligent part of nature uh, can choose to be a good dog or a bad dog. And I have extended to that dog more freedom than the others. And so the state of my house is not perfect. The state of the world that we live in right now is not perfect. It's coming. Perfect is coming. But it's not here in the here and now. And when we try to lay every single thing that happens in an imperfect world at the feet of a perfect God, that cognitive dissonance comes back here. And we've got to be able to resolve it. So, uh, John 7, 14 through 17. There's one very interesting uh, statement that Jesus makes. Look, look at this. It says, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he began teaching. Jews marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them and said, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Verse 17, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking from my own authority. If anyone's will is to do God's will. So there are two wills at work. There's God's will, what he wants to happen. And then there's man's will, whether or not he chooses to abide by God's will. So that's what Jesus is teaching. And when you see an evil thing happen, and, you know, this could be death, this could be theft, this could be destruction, and you assign that or you you attribute that to God's will as if God wants that to happen. God sitting on his throne is like, I'd really like that to happen. Then you basically call into question the character of God. And how do you do that? Well, who am I to judge God? I don't understand what he's doing. Maybe he's doing something I just don't understand. Look, that is true. That is true. 
But God has given us his word very clear, very, I mean, in many ways, very easy to understand on what things are good and right and what things are evil and twisted and destructive. And he has laid those things out for us. So it's not like, it's not, sometimes it's not an issue of, I don't understand, I just need to trust. Sometimes it's an issue of simply knowing his word and having it active in your heart. So what we have done when we do that is we have taken everything that God does, everything that we do, and even everything that the devil does, and we put it all into a box that we call God's will. And this is not good because it flies directly in the face of the character of our Father. And it makes it really hard to stand here on a Sunday morning and say, you're a good, good Father. And the only thing we can do to try to reconcile that tension is to go back to this idea that I know, every, I know that what's happening to me is evil, but it must be God because God's in control, and so I just must not understand it. But it doesn't just fly in the face of the nature of our Father. It also contradicts the clear teachings of Jesus. And so we have to understand that when we take something like death, theft, and destruction, and we say, Jesus did that, Jesus brought that, we are contradicting Jesus's teachings. Not Aaron's opinion, Jesus's teachings. You guys all know this verse, John 10, 10. Jesus says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Now, I, I understand there are scholars and, and, and armchair theologians out there that say, well, the thief doesn't mean the devil. It's talking about false messiahs in that time and day and age. Listen, the, the identity of who the thief is is not relevant to this issue. Because what Jesus is saying is this. So it could be the devil, it could be a false teacher, it doesn't matter. What Jesus is saying is this. There are two categories of things that could happen here. There are things that might fall in the category of theft, death, and destruction. And there are things that could fall in the category of life and abundant life. And what I'm telling you right now is the life and the abundant life, I came to bring that to you. The other stuff, I did not come to bring that to you. And so if there's something that has happened or is going on that falls in that category, you know, my house burned down last week, I don't know what God was doing when he did that, but I'm just trusting God. If that happened, Jesus is saying, that's from the thief. That's not from me. That's not my purpose and that's not, the, that's not my will. So we can take this and use it as a sort of a test that we can apply to our own life. In fact, I'll just get real personal and transparent and I'll just apply it to my own life and you can see how this works. So Sarah and I are getting ready to be grandparents for the first time. In fact, within the month, uh, Kayla, our daughter, and Andrew are 
they're going to have a baby. So we know a baby boy is coming. We are so excited about it. This is life. This is new life. And we receive this as a blessing from God. And we celebrate it as the goodness of God, you know, bringing life into our family. And we celebrate that. At the same time, many of you know that my dad is pretty sick. He's been fighting cancer. In fact, he just got home from the hospital last night. And there are actually teachers and doctrines out there that would take this situation and say, well, I don't understand why God put that on him, but we're just trusting God. That's not what Jesus teaches. That's not what the Bible teaches. If it falls in the category of theft, death, destruction, here's why this is so powerful. We know that it's not the purpose and the will of God. And when we know that, we are free to resist it. Because here's the thing. If you really believe that God is putting cancer on you, then why are you getting medication for it? Why are you going to the doctor? If it's God's will, say, Lord, double it. More, Lord, more. If you're trying to teach me something, bring it on. Why would you spend your money and insurance claims and your time and the discomfort of the treatments to try to get out of the will of God? But it's not God's will. He's a good God. He's a good, good father. And you can trust that and you can believe that. So you may ask yourself right now, there's a possibility that you could be saying, wait, are you saying that things happen that God doesn't want to happen? Yes, I am saying that. And the reason I'm saying that, and again, it's not because I just have an opinion about it. You know, it's because this is what the Bible says. And if we can detach ourselves from something we heard at one time, you know, on, on, in some book or something like that, or some interview show, uh, and just look at what the Bible says, then we can see not only the, the will of God, but we can see the heart of God and the nature of God. So do things happen that God does not want to happen? Yes, yes, all the time. Let's look at this. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Say, everybody say with me, all. All, all should reach repentance. So based on this verse, we can very clearly, with our Sherlock Holmes powers of deduction, See that the will of God is that no one perish, but all reach repentance. That's the stated will of God. And yet Jesus teaches in Matthew 7, 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. And so... In one place, we have the clear stated will of God. I don't want anyone to perish. I, don't, I want everyone to repent. And then we have Jesus saying, many perish and many do not repent. 
God has stated his will. And what he wants to happen is not happening in this case. Because we're not in that full revelation of the kingdom of God yet. We're not there yet. Right now, we're trying to give this world a taste of that kingdom, right? We're trying to give this world a taste of God's goodness so they'll run to him and live. So, you know, inevitably, when I bring this subject up, somebody will come up to me and say, I understand what you're saying, but I'm sick, and I just think that God is teaching me something in this sickness, or this bad thing happened to me, and I think God is teaching me something in this. That may very well be true, but there's a very important distinction that you have to be sure you're making so that you are standing on the right side of this issue. Uh, I love how Pastor Sean, you know, he, he, he talks about that verse that says, God is, is able to work all things together for good to those who love the Lord, who are the called according to his purpose. And he says, just because God can work things together for good doesn't mean that God causes all things. Uh, I'm thinking about like uh, what Sean and I, when we were, Sean Landers, the drummer, uh, when we were teenagers, we were headed out one night to play music somewhere. And we were on these backcountry roads, and it was, it was a night kind of like we've had here in the last few nights, you know, where it's kind of hovering around freezing. And we hit a patch of black ice. And we ended up down in a ditch, upside down. The van aimed the wrong direction. And uh, I was in the back of the van laying on drums or something like that. I don't know. But, you know, we learned a lot that night, you know. Uh, <laughs> We learned about black ice and, and how that's not good. And, and we, also, we also learned about how God can protect you because neither one of us were injured. But do you think that God came along while, while we were driving and was like, I'm just going to push you down into there a little bit right now? You know, did, did, did God do that? Did God push us down a ditch? No, it happened, but he protected us. And so... There are things, there are bad things that can happen and will happen in your life. Jesus said, don't be surprised when this happens. And it doesn't mean God caused it. It, it doesn't mean that his character is impugned because those things happened. But it does mean that God will come into that situation when it happens and he will redeem it and he'll protect you and he'll comfort you and he'll walk through it you know, yay, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And so God doesn't cause that situation. He doesn't give you the sickness, but he will definitely show up in the sickness, help you, strengthen you, and cause you to come out of it a different and a better person than you were going in. Is everybody okay? All right, just let this be an encouragement to you. God is for you. He loves you. Every thought of his heart towards you is good. And you should be able to sing, you're a good, good father with a pure heart, not having any tension or wrestling with this issue. And I get so fired up about this because I love Jesus and I love my father. And when I'm talking with somebody and they say, uh, 
I had a baby, but the baby died, and I don't know why God did that. I'm like, my Jesus doesn't kill babies. That's not what he does. He doesn't do that. And again, I'm, like I said at the beginning, I really do want to be careful with this, and I do want to be considerate here, because I know that there is a sliver of comfort if you can somehow, in the midst of a terrible, horrible situation, try to somehow connect meaning to God's will or God's plan, there's just this thread of comfort that you get. But what I'm trying to say is, it's not God's plan, but God is there. And he does care. And he's with you. And he does love you. So we, we have to we have to be at this place where we get, we, we shed this thinking because the, here's the problem. And I, and I always do this. I kind of, I like to think about if you've got a mindset, then that means you have your mind set in a direction. And if you keep walking in that direction, where will it lead you? If you believe that every bad, foul, evil thing that happens in your life is somehow God's will or even his permissive will, you will inevitably have to get to a place where you start your day off by saying, God, today, please don't kill me. Please don't kill my kids. Please don't burn down my house. Please don't put disease on me. Because in your mind, you have created the possibility that he might do that. We have to get rid of that. We have to see God for who he is in his goodness, and we have to understand that the things that happen in our life, uh, the, the things that are bad, evil, painful, um, are, are, are inevitable, but they didn't come from him. So, you know, what we can expect from him is goodness, kindness, love, purity, or as Jesus said, life and life more abundantly. Let's just go with his words. All right. So. We're actually coming in close to the end, but let's get back to our text here and let's kind of finish up what Acts 12 is talking about. Okay, so God did not behead James. We're good on that. So the problem is this creates now a question. If God is not imposing his will on every single situation, then how does his will ever get carried out? So if he's not that kind of a God that's like, I am going to meticulously micromanage every single thing that happens on this earth, so then how does his will get carried out? He has a will. It's not like God doesn't, there's not a God's will. There is, God does have a will. He does have things that he wants to happen. So let's see what's happening uh, in, in Acts chapter 12, and maybe we can figure this out. So basically what happens is Peter is imprisoned. The church is praying. And an angel comes and leads Peter out of the jail. And it's, it's a really interesting story. I'm not going to read it all. But Peter is not even sure it's real when it's happening. He's like not even sure if it's like maybe it's a dream. And then he finally figures out, oh, wow, this really happened. I'm really free. And he goes to the house where everybody's praying. And uh, so that, here, let's pick that up in verse 12. He says, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. 
And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting it was so, and so they kept saying, well, then it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and they opened, and they saw him, and they were amazed. What just happened? Well, in verse 12, many were gathered together praying. We don't have to be rocket scientists to figure out what they were praying about. James, one of their leaders, was just arrested and killed. Peter, one of their other leaders, was arrested and about to be killed. They got together. They started praying. What are they praying for? Lord, deliver Peter, right? And then Peter shows up at their door. Hallelujah. Prayer answered. No. No. What do they say? Well, that definitely can't be what happened. Well, that's what they're literally praying for. And that's what happened. And then the girl comes and says, hey, Peter's here. Well, you're out of your mind. And then she's like, no, I promise you Peter's here. And then they're saying, well, okay, if you really did see Peter, then it can't really be Peter. It has to be his ghost. What's going on there? So they've been praying for this and they see it. So this brings up two questions. They're two real quick questions. I just want to address them very quickly. And I want to give us something that we can act on today. And so as I'm looking at these two questions, let's go ahead and have the band come back up because we're going to just, we're going to close this out by just worshiping God with a pure heart. So two questions. Thinking about these people that are praying for Peter to be delivered and then Peter shows up and they don't believe he's there. And then they do believe that if it looks like he's there, it still can't be that he's actually there. The first question is this, do we pray for things we don't really believe will happen. Do we ever do that? And I'm just going to say, at the risk of losing a little bit of credibility, I've done that. I've done that. You know, I mean, I've, Lord, do this major thing. And then, in, in, you know, I don't really, really have my faith behind it. But is it important? I mean, does it matter that we believe? Is, is, do we just need to say it and then it happens? Well, Mark eleven twenty four says this. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received and it will be yours. So believing is critically important in praying. Uh, and, and what we call that is faith, right? And I'm not talking about TV evangelist faith. I'm talking about Bible faith. I'm talking about when you pray, there's a level of trust that you have in God and his word. And so you're standing on that trust and that belief. And actually, if you want to please God, Hebrews 11:6 says, you have to have faith if you want to please God. It says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So do we pray for things we don't really believe will happen? We might, but we need to change that. We've got to do better in that area. And then there's one more question I want to ask. Does our prayer have an effect on the will of God coming to pass? Remember, I said just a few minutes ago, if we don't believe that God is actively enforcing the outcome of every single situation in the world, then how does his will come to pass? So the question here is, does our prayer have an effect on the will of God coming to pass? One of the most fascinating verses in the Bible that deals with this is, is Matthew 9, 
37 and 38, actually. It says, Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Think about that. Think about what Jesus just said. He said, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. And then he talks about the Lord of the harvest who can send out laborers, right? This is what Jesus is saying, Lord of the harvest, God, laborers, Christians, missionaries, right? And so Jesus said, so pray that God will do that. Well, it's God's will that there be laborers in the harvest field to collect the harvest of people for the kingdom of God. Why, does he, why do we need to pray for that to happen? If it's God's will, why doesn't he just do it? Because God, in his sovereignty, in his grace, in his goodness and kindness, he includes us in his plan. He gathers us into his will and says, I'm doing an amazing thing in Thailand, in China, in India. And I want you to be a part of that. And when people go and they bring the gospel and people come into the family of God and you prayed for that to happen, you are actually part of that happening. Does God need to do that? No, he chooses to do that. He, he welcomes you into his will. Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer that we should pray daily, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus told us that we should regularly pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about that. He's God. It's his will. Why do we need to pray that it come to pass? There's nothing stopping him from carrying out his will if he chooses to, right? Because he's God. I mean, the only thing that constrains him is his own word that he won't violate. And so why do we need to pray, let your will be done? Because God wants to include us in the carrying out of his will. It's his nature. And it is important that we pray. And our prayer and our action and our serving and our loving are all a part of what makes God's will come to pass. And so we can say this, we can say, I don't believe that it's God's will that every evil, painful thing that I've experienced has happened. But I do believe God has a will and I do believe that I have a part of it. Are you guys with me on that? All right, let's stand up. Let's pray. Lord, we just love you. And God, we, we want to, to stretch out our capacity to love you even more, Lord God. And so God, today, I pray for everybody here, and, I, and for myself included, Lord God. Lord, remove barriers in our, in our heart that, that we have placed there. Remove misconceptions. Remove wrong thinking. Lord, as Pastor Sean taught us recently, lead us, God, right now to repentance, where, we, where we're not just turning another direction, but we're actually changing the way we think about you, Lord God. 
And Lord, if there have been times that we have taken something that has, I mean, maybe it's just something bad that's happened in our life. Maybe it's actually something that the enemy has done and we have attributed it to your will. Lord, forgive us right now because Lord, we see that you are good and we understand what good looks like because you show it to us, Lord God. And so God, right now, as we worship you, God, just help our hearts to be pure in the way that we worship. And God, I just pray that as we do this, Lord, all over this room, that those barriers and blinders would be pulled off and that there would be a purity in our worship that we have never experienced before. In Jesus' name, amen.